This is St. Peter's Sunday Morning Bible Group, and I'm Pastor Adam. Each week, we record our teaching time to aid you in your discipleship and to help create a resilient faith that is able to respond to the changing landscape of culture and life with the fullness of grace and truth. And hey, if you happen to live in the Columbus area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head over to our website at stpeterscolumbus.org. That's stpeterscolumbus.org. Here is this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. Before we get into uh, today's topic, let's go ahead and pray. Please join me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we talk about this topic, uh, for some of us, it's very recent. It's very raw, and uh, there's a lot of sadness involved. Uh, For some of us, uh, we haven't experienced it in the same way. But all of us, Lord, will have to experience death somewhere. It is the consequence of sin. And Lord, we know that isn't the way you planned. Your plan was that we would spend eternity with you forever. And so as we go through this, give us the comfort of knowing that you are with us. That because of Jesus, we have eternal life waiting for us. That those that love you will be with you forever. And now as we gather around your word, we ask that you would open up our ears to hear the word, our hearts to receive that word, and then our hands and feet to act upon that word. And we pray this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So this morning, Rory Glick is with us. Uh, uh, originally, we, were, we didn't know exactly who to put down from the, from the Glick household, because if Rory would have got called out or uh, if he would have had one of the boys come in with him, but it will be Rory Glick talking to us. He'll give us a little bit of background on, him, on himself and what he does, and then we'll take some questions like we did last week, and then I'll wrap up with a Bible story. So, Rory, it's all you. You're on. Thanks, George. There we go. Thank you. Um, we are the owners of Barkus Weaver and Glick Funeral Home. Myself, uh, my wife, and our two sons work with us. And I've been a f- licensed funeral director in the state of Indiana now for 37 years. I started working in the funeral business or the funeral profession when I was 19. Uh, the summer, I uh, decided when I was on the farm that I wanted to reach out and uh, get involved in the funeral profession. I actually decided when I was in elementary school, junior high school, that I wanted to make that commitment to go to mortuary school, and this is what I wanted to do. Is that better for you? Um, So it's a little strange, as I tell my friends back in high school that that's what I wanted to do. I first, really, my first interest was the embalming room. And as I tell people that, they kind of look at me like, you're crazy. Um, But at 19 and 20, that's what attracted me to, to the profession that I'm in now. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the prep room doing embalmings and prepping bodies, getting ready for open caskets and visitations. Uh, not so much now do I do a lot of that as my, I have other responsibilities within the, uh, the profession at the funeral home. Uh, our profession is very demanding. We are on call 24 hours a day. We answer our phones uh, every hour of the day. Uh, myself, my wife, our sons, and another director at our funeral home, Trent Morgan, if you've ever had the opportunity to meet Trent, He is absolutely awesome. Uh, But we answer our phones. We try to answer our phones 99% of the time in-house. We don't like our phones to be answered by an answering service, but we do have a backup plan. If we are busy and the phones get kicked out to the answering service, they will then reach out to us. But it's very important that I think that we answer our phones ourselves. Um, We call that initial phone call that comes in a death call. So once we get that call, uh, generally it's going to come from a nursing home, the coroner's office may call us, a family member may call us, uh, but that call at that point in time, we get a little bit of information from the people that's giving us to that, and then we would go to the location, actually go and bring that body into our care. If we're going to a home, generally we would take two people, uh, myself and another person would go, or uh, two other staff members would go to that house. If we're going to a hospital or to a nursing home, generally one person can handle that with the staff at that facility as well. At that point in time, we would reach out to the family. We ask the family if we're doing embalming or if we're doing cremation, some type of a cremation service without embalming. It is not a law that the body has to be embalmed for any type of services whatsoever. But if we're going to be doing an open casket, holding the body for a certain amount of time, we do need to do embalming. We all know that the embalming process is to preserve the body for a short period of time. When it comes to cremation, it's a whole different area. There's so many different options with cremation. And of course, the cremation process is growing more and more. Um, But with cremation as well, we can do the embalming of the body to have an open casket of viewing, and then we follow up with cremation. 
When it comes to burial in Indiana, we have a couple options. One is to be the earth burial, which is more common. It is growing more and more uh, to do entombment. Uh, so Garland Brook would be our cemetery here in Columbus that the body can be placed into a crypt above ground. Uh, same way with cremation. The cremator remains can actually be buried in the ground or put into the mausoleum. And now that St. Peter's has a columbarium here, uh, more and more members are having their cremated remains placed into the columbarium here at St. Peter's. Uh, you can also take cremated remains home with you. Um, you do not have to uh, take them to a cemetery. It is, you can scatter them also in Indiana, but the law in Indiana to scatter cremated remains, it has to be on uninhibited public land. Um, so you don't have to record it. So the cremated remains can be scattered at Brown County State Park, White River, Flat Rock River, if you're going to scatter cremated remains on public land, being farmland, you are supposed to record those scatterings at the county recorder's office. I've been doing this 37 years. I don't know of anybody that's ever recorded it at the county recorder's office. So I think they take them home, they scatter them. Um, what we do at our funeral home is the family is required to say that they are taking the cremated remains home with them and we put the address down and we tell the family that that's all we need to know. Whatever you do with it from that point on is fine with us. Cremated remains can also be buried in the casket of a loved one as well at the cemetery. So there's just so many different options when it comes to cremation as versus the burial process. Um, when we initially talk to a family, we, we visit with them and we've already established if we're doing an open casket type of service or cremation. If we're doing an open casket, we give them a list of things that we're going to need from them. Uh, the statistics would be the social security number, obituary information we will gather from them. But we do ask for clothing. So we're going to ask them to bring us in uh, socks or footies, a complete set of underclothing for men and women. Shoes we generally tell them is not necessary unless the family re uh, requests that. Uh, but we do also ask them to bring in long sleeves and nothing low cut. The only reason with that would be covering up skin on a person that's passed away is going to look a lot better than we have in skin that's going to be out for us to cover up or cosmetize. Uh, at that time, they'll set a time for the family to come in with us, um, make the arrangements. So the obituaries that you read in the newspaper is coming from the funeral home, and we direct that to the newspapers that they want us to send those to. As we grow more and more, um, you're finding newspapers aren't doing obituaries or they're not printing, so our website seems to be growing more for people for the traffic for obituaries and for funerals. So we're kind of concentrating more on the funeral home website to get all that information out to them. And that's where we make the, uh, set the time of the funeral. We contact the minister who's gonna be in charge to make sure that the time that the family's requesting that fits our schedule as well as the family's and the pastors to coordinate uh, the arrangement time as well. When it comes to cremation, uh, the family still comes in with that same information. Um, at that point, we establish if we're gonna do what they would call a celebration of life or a memorial service. We kind of use the word funeral in our line of work, meaning the body's gonna be present and a memorial service or a celebration of life would be cremated remains. I don't know, I think that's just a funeral way of doing things but we kind of stick to those words to kind of help guide people. If you read obituary, I think you'll read memorial service, celebration of life. 99% of the time, it's probably a cremation type of service. Um, at that time too, the family's gonna tell us if we're gonna be going to a church for the service or if we're gonna be staying at the funeral home for the type of service. So they have that choice to do whatever they want when it comes to those type of services. When the funeral is over, in Indiana, the law is in a funeral procession that we, the funeral home procession, does have the right of way through all the stoplights and the stop signs. Um, but it is very dangerous, obviously, as we go through the intersections more and more. And the people that aren't used to our customs here, um, they really don't follow those. They're going to want to cut in and cut out. Uh, we have had a couple accidents in funeral processions over the years. There are a few states that are just outlawing funeral processions whatsoever because of the safety. I hope it doesn't get to that here. Uh, so gravesides are gonna be coming more prominent if we can't go in a funeral procession. So we guide everybody at every funeral that we have at our funeral home, we tell the people that are there that we do have the right of way through all the stoplights and the stop signs, go through those intersections very cautiously. That's how we kind of guide that. When it comes to cremation, 
we do have an on-site crematory, so we actually do our own cremations ourselves. Cremation is, the law is with cremation, is we cannot cremate a body in Indiana until 48 hours has passed from the time of death. We have to get a signed signature from the coroner and or doctor, and we have to get a signed signature from the immediate next of kin, um, giving us permission to cremate. Immediate next of kin in Indiana is spouse, children, and there's a pecking order that we have to go through uh, to give us that right. And then once, those, once we have those three things established, then we can legally do cremation of the body. The cremation process is pretty simple in the machine. It's gonna take an average, size, an average person about two, two and a half hours for us to do cremation. A very large person is going to be the three to four hours. Once the cremation process is completed, uh, we pull all the bone fragments that is left. Those bone fragments are then placed into a pulverizer and that's why we get the reduction of the uh, cremated remains that we give back to the family. If I'm talking to, if you're giving you too much information, I apologize. Um, and then the duties of a funeral director all day long is going to be simply, sh when we show up, we're gonna be in the embalming room or the prep room. We're gonna be meeting families. We're gonna be conducting funerals. And we're also gonna be uh, working visitations. In our profession, we deal, like I said earlier, we have a lot of hours that are involved in what we do throughout the day. We can put in a very long day, uh, our 10 or 12 hour day, go home, and we're immediately back up on, a, on what we would call a death call. Um, so it is a very demanding profession. Our staff, we do rotate. I don't want you to think that I'm working every weekend, but we do rotate, my wife may think differently, but we do rotate days and weekends that we uh, have responsibilities to be at night on call at the night at the funeral home. We do serve all types of religions, of course. We serve people that are either believers in Christ we serve people that are atheists. Uh, in our community, we have lots of people now that are coming into our community that are Muslim and Buddha. Um, so we have to educate ourselves when it comes to those type of, of services. Um, the Christians are, are much easier for us. Um, we know that as Christians and believers in Jesus that uh, we grieve and celebrate at the same time, uh, which is much better for us because we know that there's hope afterwards. We serve people that all the time of non-religion that I hear lots of times that their loved ones in heaven, but they don't even, they don't even understand that terminology. So it's a very fine line that we walk. We don't really get involved with all that. We let the pastor or the families get involved with that. Um, some of the most difficult cases, and that's a question that I get lots of times when I speak, what's the most difficult cases that you deal with? Well, obviously it's going to be young people or family members. I have served, I have had a both of my parents that's passed away. Uh, father, very traumatic, was, was hit by a car. And then my mother. So those are, dealing with family members is difficult, but dealing with young children are probably the worst for us. Um, but we get through those processes whenever we do it um, with the family members. But I can remember when I was much younger and had children, dealing with younger people, couldn't wait to get home to hug your kids. Now it's unusual, you're gonna go home and hug your kids anyway. But doing that, it just makes it seem much easier whenever you're dealing with, that, with the young people. Um, burials and cremations range in all different type of prices, obviously, so that's a question that we hear lots of times. Why would we choose one over the other? And really, it's just a family preference. Uh, I don't know that people choose cremation anymore now because it's a more reasonable price as opposed to burial. When cremation first started growing, I would say that's where I saw more families leaning toward cremation because of the cost. Now it's all walks of life are doing cremation. The cremation is definitely growing. When I first started doing this, uh, the cremation rate was about 20% of the families that we serve as cremation. Now, the, now I'm going to say probably it's about 55% and it's obviously growing. Uh, it used to be starting out with cremation, those families selected no services at all. It's what's what we call direct cremation. You pass away, we cremate, we give the ashes to the family, and that was it. There was any type of service whatsoever. More and more families are doing at least services at some point, whether it be at the church or at the funeral. And lots of times with cremation as well, they'll tell us, you know what, Rory, we're not going to do anything. We're going to wait till summertime. We may call you and do something at the funeral home, or we may just do something at our house or go to a restaurant and do the celebration that way. So again, with cremation, there's so many different options out there to do. Um, help me out, George. You had a question. You, you were good enough to have a guideline for me. And I'm tell, us, tell us about uh, what we should do when we see funeral processions passing on. 
Yes. Um, the law is whenever we're on a two-lane two highway, you are to pull over for a funeral profession if, procession if we're coming up on you. But if you're on a four-lane highway, you can actually keep going, uh, obviously slowly, but you, you do not have to stop for a funeral procession on a highway, believe it or not. I think you, lots of police officers, you'll see make people make them pull over, but at intersections, you're to pause and let that funeral procession go through at all times. And that's the difficulty that we're having now that that's not happening a lot more. Um, Do you have to have clothing in the casket? Have to have clothing on in the casket? You do not, uh, but it'll be a closed casket. <laughs> we have had families that have opted the deceased, prearranged their funeral with us, told us what type of services they wanted, the casket was going to be closed, and they did not want to have any clothing on. So that has happened a time or two. Uh, lots of times they'll put a robe on maybe or a sheet, um, but no law against anything, clothing. Uh, lots of families will ask me, Rory, can we keep jewelry on? You can, there's no law. You can put anything in that casket with your loved one that you want as long as we can close the lid. Um, I have seen uh, guns, fishing poles, uh, jewelry not as much anymore. Jewelry used to be more common, I'm going to say, when I started in my career. Lots of times wedding bands on men and women were left on more and more times that those are coming off. In my opinion, if someone would ask me, I would say take them off so no regrets later on if you want to pass those down. Uh, but definitely I would, that would be my recommendation. Uh, help me out, George, you did give me a- Do you, do you want to walk us through the, the process of embalming? Just, we're talking about the care of the body and we're gonna look at how Jesus was embalmed before he went into the tomb. You, if, without getting too graphic, if you would mind just walking a little bit through that. And how do you deal with that as somebody that's dealing with somebody that's with a dead body? Gotcha. Embalming. First of all, we shave, uh, and that's just my requirement, we shave all men and women and children uh, just to get the lit to go, the, the peach fuzz off the face. Uh, and that, that purpose is going to be after we do the embalming of the body, the tissue becomes very firm and that little peach fuzz is going to stick out. And once we put cosmetics on any anybody, it's going to look caked on, and we want to try to avoid that the best we can. Uh, we do mouth as soon as the, the body is on our, in our care on our embalming table. The first thing is do is we're going to shave. The next thing is do is we're going to disinfect whatever we can for the safety of us and our staff. We're going to do a mouth closure. The mouth closure is very simple. It's with ligature to bring the two uh, gums together. We put in eye caps in the eyelids just to keep the eyelids closed a little bit. Uh, we position the body, so when you walk into a funeral home and you see the hands crossed generally and the head is straight up and tilted a little bit to the right, because when you come in to view a body at a funeral home, you're most generally viewing the right side of the body. Sometimes the body will be reversed in the casket if it was an extremely bad automobile accident. We would get a reverse casket so you'd be viewing from the other side. Uh, at that point, then the embalmer is ready to start uh, finding the vessels. The, the vessels that we do to embalm a body is on the, we start with the right clavicle, uh, we raise the uh, right carotid and the right jugular vein. And the embalming machine acts just like the heart. So we have an embalming machine that holds uh, sometimes two and three gallon of embalming fluid. And that embalming fluid is placed into the carotid artery, just like your heart pushes blood throughout your extremities of your body and then the blood is returned back to the jugular vein. So we're just simply replacing embalming fluid uh, from the blood. And that blood, people always ask me what happens to that drain. It simply drains down into the city sewage like anybody else's uh, wastewater. Believe it or not, but that's just the way that works. We, during the embalming process to find, to see if it makes sure a body is being embalmed good, the tissue and the muscle is gonna start firming up for us. Uh, Lots of times an older person has sclerotic arteries, so the legs or the arms or the hands uh, doesn't get the circulation good. So then we have to start raising uh, the axillary, different types of uh, arteries throughout the body, the femorals, just to make sure that we're getting the body preserved the best that we possibly can to hold that body. It used to be early in my career, we would, we would have a body after we meet with a family two or three days and then the funeral. We are now having families that live in different states, different countries, so we are holding for two and three weeks. Um, and this month, for particular at our funeral home, we've been holding bodies for up to two weeks a lot, and that becomes a challenge for us. And we're, we're very upfront with the family. If we have to hold a body that long, we can't guarantee 
um, that there's going to be an open casket? And chances are the answer is yes, but we never know. So we want to make sure we kind of lay that groundwork that we're not real sure how that's going to work out. After that process is done, uh, there's, other, there's other things in there that I won't talk about that we have to do to make sure. Um, and then after that process is done, the, the embalmer is done. Um, we we've probably know in the next day what time the, the services are going to be. So then we come back in, the, uh, the person would come back in to prep the body. And that would be um, removing any of the lotion that we put on the face to help from dehydration. We're going to trim up any nose hair, ear hair on everybody to keep before we start cosmetizing. We then glue the eyelids and the lips just to keep that closed again because the embalming fluid is going to uh, have dehydration and those could just creep up a little bit on us because of no moisture in the skin. Then the embalmer is going to apply very light cosmetics unless the family has guided us to put on certain on women that they want a certain lip color, fingernail polish, uh, mascara, then we'll do that. But we try to just keep everything as light as we possibly can. And then uh, we apply, at our funeral home, we apply a very light wax in the lips just to cover up that inner crack on the lip, just to kind of blend it in a little bit better. And then we dress and then we place the casket, the body into the casket. Uh, positioning in the casket, from the time the embalming start process starts, the embalming process on a, on a very normal, we're all different, is about two and a half hours for that process. And then to come back in the next day to prepare the body for uh, casketing, you're about another two hours. So we're probably four hours into just to get the body uh, prepared into the casket and ready for the visitation. We ID everybody that comes in. Uh, we make sure, we fingerprint as well, but that's not for identification purposes. That's to give the family uh, a brochure if they want to purchase pendants of their loved one with their fingerprint on it, which is growing more and more popularity. But we do ID everybody with their name uh, and date of death, and it is an ankle bracelet that we put on everybody so, we can, so that body can be tracked. When it comes to cremation, there's probably more lawsuits in uh, involved with funeral homes when it comes to cremation than anything else in our line of work. So at our funeral home, because we have our own crematory, again, the body is, is tagged on the ankle, but then we have at our crematory, we have a, a number that follows that body everywhere it goes. So once it's into in the crematory, that number that that body, that person was assigned to is on the crematory. So anybody could come into our, in our building and, I, and see what number that person is and match it with the name of that person. Once we get ready to process, that tag is then moved over to the pulverizer. And then once that process is done, that tag follows those cremated remains into the temporary container or the urn if the family selected an urn and then back to our funeral home and then the family signs off. So that's lots of questions I get. How do you know that's my dad or, or, or those cremated remains or my mom or our loved one? That's how we know that, that we have not skipped a beat whatsoever. Then the next part is you have to trust us. We don't cremate uh, other bodies for other funeral homes, except for one, which is a friend of mine in Franklin. Um, so those are great questions when it comes to cremation. How do you identify and follow along with those cremated remains? And that's how we do it. What all do you burn up when you cream? I mean, like, you know, do you do jewelry in there? Do all jewelry comes off clothing? What, what are they burned in? Yeah, that's a good question, because lots of fans will say, now, we want the clothing back. Well, we don't live, give the clothing back. That's a no-no us we don't want to have any fluid or anything and giving that back to the family i specifically at our funeral home we don't want to cremate jewelry so we make sure unless it's costume jewelry but we do not want to make a mistake and do a cremation of diamonds or wedding bands so it's kind of our policy to say no we will not cremate that um, and it seems to be the families understand that we do cremate caskets very rare does someone uh, purchase a casket have the funeral and, and then we cremate that casket we kind of guide everybody to go to a uh, rental casket. We have two rental caskets. It's new interior every time that we use it. And uh, it's more economical for the family. You're gonna save several thousands of dollars. Uh, but I'm gonna say we may have one casket a year that we cremate. Otherwise, it's just what we would call a rental or a cremation box. The family does have to purchase from us what we call a cremation container. It's $90, it's the most inexpensive container we can possibly get. And it's simply a cardboard box because we cannot place a body into the crematory, just the body itself. It has to be in some type of container so we can roll it into our crematory. Um, but as far as the cremation process, it's, it's a simple process for us. Uh, caskets, 
are different if we're, if we're cremating a wooden casket. We will not cremate a metal casket. Years ago, crematories were placing bodies in metal caskets, cremating them, and then they had an awful time of just getting the bone fragments out of that metal casket because it does not melt. Uh, it gets up to 2,000 degrees, and that's the top of the temperature that it's going to get for us. Um, but wooden caskets are going to take us a much longer period of time. What about gold teeth? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just, I don't know, maybe that's a weird question. It's not a weird question. Um, I'm going to say last month we had a gentleman that prearranged, and in his prearrangement, because I prearrangement, I had notes in there that says his request that his gold teeth be pulled, removed, and given back to the family. Well, his wife, once we told her those wishes, she said, absolutely not. Leave those gold teeth in. But they do melt down, and those are something that we can see in the crematory once we're once we're going through things, before we pulverize any of the bone fragment, we go through and pick out any metal pieces, whether it be a, a hip, a, a knee, those titanium pieces, because they're big, they're just separated out and generally thrown away. The gold sometimes we can find, and the silver, and it's also just put, so unless the family wants it back. Yeah, most do not want it back. Renee, did you have a question? I saw your hand. No, any other questions? Go ahead, Jean. I don't know which one of you wants to answer this, but I've never been to like a Lutheran funeral where they've been cremated and we have a service in the church. It's always the body is in the church and then they get cremated. Yes. Yeah, so so your, your, your question is, do we have memorial services in the sanctuary when there's no physical casket? Yeah. Uh, and we have had several of those. Okay. It, just it, did it, yesterday. Uh, yesterday would be one. I've been at, I've probably been at half a dozen here. I think some of it has to do, too, Jeannie, more with uh, there are more cremations happening. Uh, for just uh, to maybe address this for Rory, it, uh, um, for a long time, the Lutheran Church as a whole did not endorse cremation. And it went back to um, you know, that it, it was, uh, you know, that was a, a Viking ritual or a, a pagan ritual. It was destroying the body so God could not find it. And there, there have been a handful of people not connected to our church, but through the years I've said, I'm going to burn my body so God can't put it together. And that rebellious act, I'm going to talk about that later on. But as a Lutheran church, we do not condemn cremation. Uh, again, uh, it's a process that the pastor and the funeral director need to help work a, a family through. Why are you doing this? Uh, how does it glorify God? How does it help your family in the grieving process? Um, you know, some people, uh, when you talk about open caskets, they want to see the, the deceased person to make sure that they, it's actually their loved one. Um, for others of us, we would rather remember our loved one as they were, not as they are. So uh, again, that's the great thing, uh, I think, in Columbus, having dealt with a lot of funeral directors on different levels, we have some great folks of all the different funeral homes that are very compassionate, walking through a family, and helping them to process that grief. You know, you hear stories in other places about funeral directors taking advantage of people and, and running up the fees. I don't see that in Columbus. Our folks here in Columbus are very much about helping you do what you need to do for your family to process through the grief. Right, and with the Catholic, I think the Catholic uh, was the, were the last ones to come on, come on board with cremation, even in my career. And there's a Catholic uh, priest here in Columbus, uh, he's on the verge of retiring, but his belief is with cremation is it's fine, but when we bring the cremated remains into the church for a service, he wants all the cremated remains to be there. So it's so common now that cremated remains are divided up. Uh, some people will take a portion to, to be scattered somewhere. He absolutely is against that. So when we go, and he tells the family that, that all the cremated remains need to be in that container before you go taking those and scattering them out, where here it's not that case. Well, speaking of crem cremated remains, how, how much volume is there or weight after you cremate a body on it? Yeah, yeah an average person about four pounds. About four, four pounds, pounds of cremated remains? It's bone, bone frag. So, the tall, so a guy like me that's tall and big, I'm gonna have more cremated remains. A shorter bone person, small bone person's gonna have less. Now Renee had a question. Yeah, I do, it came to mind. Um, what options are there, since we don't have our own cemetery at St. Peter's, what options are there other than Garlandbrook? Or, I mean, because some cemeteries are for church members only or certain groups, what options? There's a ton. Uh, yeah, and there's, it's, there are a few church cemeteries that you have to be a member to be put in that cemetery, but not as much anymore. 
but there are a handful of country cemeteries. They're considered in the state of Indiana called abandoned cemeteries, so don't, don't worry about that. They're under the, the township trustee's jurisdiction. But yeah, we can guide anybody to any cemetery. If there's grave spaces, yeah, you can be buried there. Uh, Bonnie asked, how does organ donation fit into the process? Uh, just because we're recording it. I just thought of no, that. No, no, that's good. Um, yeah, it's called the, in Indiana, it's called the Indiana Donor Network. And the law is, and, and Clayton Nolte will probably talk a little bit about this as well, but the law is that hospitals and coroners, before they release the body to the funeral home, they have to contact the Indiana Donor Network to see if they, that body, that person qualifies for donation. And then they contact the family, and the family has the right to say yes or no. If they say no, the body then is released to us immediately. If they say yes, then the family has a long questionnaire that they fill out. Uh, generally, we're just going to talk about the person is brain dead and the heart has quit. So there's no organ donation then. It's bone, long bone, uh, leg, skin, eyes is what they'll do. And it does definitely affects what we do. Um, and I was talking to a table earlier when they asked the same question. There's, there needs to be a little bit more transparency between the Indiana Donor Network and the family with the funeral home because they tell all families it's not going to change, it's not going to do anything, which is not true. It affects what we do tremendously. Not complain, it's a great organization and we need to do that, but they need to let families know that it most certainly could change the appearance uh, of what we're doing. If it's if they're de de declared brain dead, it's completely different. Then, the, then that person is actually going into OR for them to, they used to use the word harvest, but now they're taking out heart, liver, lungs for a full organ donation, which is also a completely way that we do things. But the family has the right to say yes or no to that, but it's definitely a growing donation. While we're on this same thing, uh, do you have, have you worked with folks that have donated their, all, their whole body to science as a funeral yes. director? Yeah, and it's, it used to be that that person, the family had to contact the funeral home. I'm gonna say 10 years ago it changed, Indiana Anatomical Board, IU Health. Uh, you have to pre-register now. It used to be when someone would die, they would say, hey, Rory, we want, uh, mom wanted her body to go to full body donation. We would then make the phone call. We have to embalm the body completely different. They, don't, they ask us not to do certain incisions. They ask us to over embalm the body, but now it's completely different. You have to pre-register it and you have to be accepted into that. And then they have a funeral home in, Indi in Indianapolis that they contract with that they do that and then the body goes to Indiana, uh, the full body donation. You can still do a funeral and afterwards for cremation. And let me put you on the spot. Have you dealt with natural burial before? Is that, that's a newer thing that's coming out. It's very new. I have not dealt with it. It's on the West Coast. I've talked to a lot of people over there that's done it and, and people that represent the funeral industry on the West side. I don't know that it's ever gonna make it to us. Um, it's a completely different thing. But green burials, because there's cemeteries in Indiana, almost all cemeteries in Indiana require that the casket go in some type of a vault. So that's gonna take out the green burial type. Back, I think there was a question over here before we come back to this table. So after they're done with your organs, if you donate to science, then they cremate it and return it to you? They do, you have the options. My understanding is still that the cremator remains either go to the family or they, they used to, they had the option to either send them to your funeral home of choice, that doesn't happen anymore. It either goes to the family, if it, the family does not want them, which is a lot of them do not. It's my understanding they still have a, they have a scattering ground in Crown Hill Cemetery, and they'll, they'll scatter those cremated remains at Crown Hill Cemetery. And then there was a question over here, Jeannie. Um, the different types of cremation that you see, like water cremation, I don't even know what that is. Hydrolysis cremation. So hydrolysis, it's against the law and Indiana does not allow that right now. So the, we're a member of the Indiana Funeral Directors Association and they are, they're trying to get laws passed where that can be legal in Indiana. Ohio, I think, is our neighboring state that has that. So eventually it's gonna make it to Indiana to where we don't do gas, we don't use gas or electric, we don't use gas, we're gonna use electricity, but it's through water. And I'll describe it, it looks like a big pressure cooker. The body goes into a big dome and it's done through hydrolysis. There's a little bit of chemical, but it's, it takes longer, I understand, but it's done through heat and pressure and water, and it reduces, it eventually gets rid of all the flesh and organs, and again, that's just gonna go right down the drain, and that leaves behind bone fragments that is then pulverized the same way. Environmental, they're gonna get more environmentally friendly. Some of these, as we talk about all these different things, the reason that these different types of uh, burial, cremation, things are coming up, is uh, again has to do with some things with 
uh, ecology and taking care of uh, the, the amount of space that we have. You know, for example, um, down in New Orleans, they can't go too deep for burying people, so you see all the mausoleums. In other cultures, they've let the, the bodies break down and they, they push them back. And, and so uh, some of it has to deal with our culture more than with our religion, uh, more than with, our, with the, what the Bible says. Uh, if you think about all the, the, the concrete that's buried in the ground around, um, we, we have a limitation on space. And so a lot more folks are thinking through in this process, and I think that's where, Rory, you probably would help folks with it. What's the best way to care for God's world as well as my relative? Yeah, and that's why cremation, I think, sometimes is growing because people lean towards that. All right, so pre-arrangement, the question, just to repeat it so everyone can hear, um, explain the pre-arrangement process. What can you do? Yeah, pre-arranging your funeral is going to help, one, the family for, for sure, to have your wishes down, and also going to help the funeral home to know exactly what they're getting involved with once that death call comes in. But, but pre-arrangements, we probably do an average of four or five a week pre-arrangements. Sometimes it's people that's um, getting ready to pass away, and they want to get those pre-arrangements done ahead of time so they can let their family know uh, what their wishes are. Sometimes it's somebody that's very healthy that calls us up and says, hey, we want to go ahead and get this all done so our kids don't have to worry about it. It's simply just calling up your funeral home. They'll set up an appointment. If it's with us, you're going to come in and sit down with us. We're going to take down a little bit of information that, that's just so we can kind of get a file started. And then we're just simply going to ask you, but so we'll know which way to guide you. Are you doing earth burial? Are you doing open casket? Uh, or are you doing cremation? If you're doing the burial type, then we're going to talk about caskets and vaults. Uh, we're going to come up with a price quote. So you know today, if you're doing your funeral arrangements today, you're going to walk out of the funeral home and know exactly what your funeral would cost at today's cost. Cremation is the same way. If you've opted with cremation, we're going to talk about urns or if you're, what type of service you're wanting to have. We'll come up with a price quote. Uh, lots of times in the family, we'll, we'll think about it. Call us up and say, gosh, Roy, we don't want to, we're going to change everything. We don't want to do any of this, but we want to get it locked in and taken care of. Um, you can fund it. If you walk out and you say, we, we know what we want, we don't want to prepay any of this, we're going to let our insurance take care of it when we pass away, which is fine. We're going to call that a non-funded, it's going to sit in the file, we're going to be done with it. If you're wanting to fund it, in Indiana there's a few laws we have to follow. If you're wanting to fund it and prepay it, I'll just use if the funeral is $10,000, you pay a check for $10,000, the funeral home cannot deposit that into their account. We've all read where funeral home have, some funeral home owners have, those people are in jail now. That money has to be deposited into an irrevocable funeral trust. So the person, once that money is put into a funeral trust, we can't touch it, the family can't touch it. If for some reason the person that's, that opened it up ends up going on Medicaid, the state of Indiana can't touch it. So it kind of protects the family that way. That can only be used for your funeral. So we would then submit a check, a death certificate, to that place that they would send us a check for those funeral expenses. What we take the gamble in Indiana, it's all called irrevocable. There are some states that are revocable, but it is irrevocable in Indiana. So if you pay $10,000 towards your funeral, we have to guarantee that when you die 20 years later, it's, it's a guaranteed funeral. So we in Indiana take a gamble that inflation and interest rates are gonna stay, I just hope that they stay the same. I don't need one to be higher than the other. But we all know the last three, four, five years, inflation rates have been high, interest rates have been low. So when those people pass away and in their prearrangement, if it was $10,000 and they, they arranged that five years ago, prices have gone up. Maybe that funeral now is 11,000, but in that pre-funded, there's only 9,000 in there because it lost money. Uh, we have to, what we call, I just say, we just eat it. We can't, the family cannot pay the difference in that because in Indiana, that was a guaranteed funeral contract. The flip side of that is if it was $10,000 and it's now grown to $12,000 and your funeral was $11,000, there's a, what we would call there's an overage there. There's $1,000 that has grown that's over and above what the funeral is going to cost. The law in Indiana is two things. The family can upgrade. They can spend more on the funeral. The funeral home can give a refund to the family or the funeral home can keep it. Uh, the reason the funeral home in Indiana says that they can keep it because when you have a shortfall, we have to eat it. If there's an overage, then we have the option of what we want to do. I can tell you I write refunds to the family. Or if it's a shortfall, again, we just eat it and we don't talk about it. Prearrangements in a nutshell. 
You've mentioned a couple of times Indiana law. Not every state has the same laws, right? Absolutely not. Even when it comes to someone that's on Medicaid or someone that doesn't have money to pay for a funeral, here in Indiana we have options to go through the Medicaid uh, agency and or the local trustee, the township that the person lived in. So we're, we're pretty blessed in that area here to have those things to be able to turn to. But I'm licensed in Indiana. Uh, I can go get licensed in other states if I wanted to, but I don't know those state laws. The law is too that I can I personally cannot go make a anymore. I used to be able to. I cannot go to Jewish Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, and make and bring a body into my care and come back to, to our funeral home, unless I have what they call a courtesy card. I've opted. Everybody in our staff has opted not to get a courtesy card because we do not have that many people that pass away in Louisville. Most of our people go to a special hospital, specialty hospital in Indianapolis. So then I have to call somebody down south that's licensed in Kentucky to bring that body into their care and then bring that body into our care. So that all changed about 15 years ago where I could go just about anywhere to bring a body into our care, but now I cannot. I have to call somebody to help us. All right, so the, the question is explain the different kinds of vaults and why you would need those and why. Yeah, good question. If you ever go to an old cemetery, an old, old cemetery, and you see the ground is very wavy and caved in, that's because back then they didn't use vaults. They used wooden vaults or they just they buried the casket so the reason that the cemetery says you have to have a vault is to keep the cemetery flat so if you go i'll use gardner brook again it's a very it's a very well done it's up kept up because they require a casket has to go in some type of a vault but you are exactly right the very least expensive vault does the exact same thing as the most expensive vault and we tell all of our families that as well uh, some families like to have a lined vault versus a non-lined vault but they all serve the purpose every one of them. So you're saying you move away and you die, but you want to have your services here. How does that work, Rory? Happens a lot. I'll use Florida. A lot of people go to Florida for the winter. They pass away down there. I always tell everybody, contact your hometown funeral home. One, they're going to save money because you're just going to deal with one professional fees from that funeral home. If you contact the funeral home in that town where your loved one passes away, you're going to deal with two different funeral homes. So I tell families, call us. Uh, we would then contact somebody in Florida to represent us, to bring the body into their care, do the embalming, uh, take the body to the airport there, and we would receive the body at the Indianapolis airport. And then once that happens, they, we bring them into our care, and we just start with the normal uh, funeral arrangements that we would do on our end. It happens a lot. Um, if you're going to have visitation and funeral at the funeral at the town that that person's at, it's a completely different story. Then you obviously have to contact a funeral home in that town. They're going to do all the prep, the casketing, the dressing, and then they're going to send all that back to us. Uh, we do drive. Uh, we just took a, a family's uh, to, to uh, St. Louis for them, uh, but that's the best way. I always just tell people contact your hometown funeral home. All right, I'm going to take one more question. I saw one on the far side. Was Nancy? Um, in Indiana, the funeral home become, can become the owner and the beneficiary of an insurance policy. Yes, you can. For most purposes, they do that because someone is going on spin down and they need to go on Medicaid and they need to get that insurance policy out of their, out of their loved one's hand as the owner. So I, that's the only thing I, I, that's the only time that we are the owner and beneficiary of, a, of an insurance policy. And our funeral home is the owner and the beneficiary of hundreds of policies for people. Yes, yeah, you can hold on to that policy and then, yeah, that we can help the family process the insurance policy. I hope you are enjoying this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. For more information, you can head over to stpeterscolumbus.org. There, you will find more faith content and you can support this ministry. And don't forget, if you are looking for that local church and you live in Columbus, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. Now, back to the Sunday Morning Bible Group. All right, so while we're going through all this, the body matters in a couple of different ways. And one of the first ways I mentioned earlier is for those that are behind, uh, those that are grieving loved ones, there is, as we deal with the deceased body, the folks that are behind need certain things. And the funeral home and the pastors can help you out with that. But it also matters to God. God gave us our bodies, but I want to bring out a couple things because there's one of the reasons people go, well, if, if we cremate them, God can't put them together. Well, let's talk about that. 
Turn with me on your, on your, uh, your tables, as well as uh, those of you that want to turn to your Bible. Um, John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. This is Jesus' burial after Jesus died. And go ahead and follow along with me. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Let's back up. If you remember when the, the thieves and Jesus were on the cross at, on Friday, the Jewish people would have started celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday. And it was not just a regular Sabbath, it was the Sabbath at the beginning of the Passover week. And so because of that, in terms of their law for health and safety, as well as religious ceremonies, they could not allow the dead bodies to remain on the cross. In other provinces, the Romans would sometimes leave people on crosses until their body rotted down. The Jewish law would not allow that because they said the body matters to God. And especially in relationship to the Passover celebration. We don't want this hazard to our health as well as this desecration of a gift of God. And so they would take the bodies down. Here, Joseph and Nicodemus take them down and their embalming process was not as complicated as ours. It wasn't as long lasting as, but they did some things. And so they were taking myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot, 75 pounds in addition to the body that they were putting inside of the burial cloths. Now, some of that would have been to help with the smell of the decay, but it also would have helped, again, in the process for them caring for the body. There is that element of those that love caring for their loved ones. It would have been kind of for them that idea of giving my last gift to somebody I loved. And that we see that a lot in funerals. People want to leave a gift for somebody that they love. They put up a photo or they put something in the casket or they take something back, one of the, the flowers from the spray. These are all ways that help people deal with their grief. So they, they, they put that, that uh, mixture on them. They took the body of Jesus, bound it in linens and cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Again, a lot of this is custom. The Bible does not tell us what we have to do with a dead body. All right. It told the Jews what to do because it was part of God being in charge of their country as part of their religious process. As Christians, God does not give us a specific thing we need to do with the body. But it was the custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and then the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus in there. Oftentimes, a tomb would have been like our mausoleum. There would have been more than one area that they could put a body. So they would put a new body in there and it would stay for a while. If they had a new body, another body, they would then push the, oh, the body that had been there back into one of their niches in the wall for that, those bones to remain. Uh, but so there would be multiple people. This was never had been used before. So Jesus is put into a tomb with no other dead body. Why does this matter? Well, when Jesus raises up, he would have been still clean because he hadn't come in contact with another body. So again, some of those things with the Jewish law fit in here. I'm going to take another passage. We're going to continue with Matthew 27. If you got the text, it, this was not listed, but I think this is important too. All right. The next day, that is the, the, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I'll arise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Back on the tomb, it would have been like a cave. There would have always been a stone rolled in front of it to cover up the mouthpiece. All right, we saw that with Lazarus. If you remember the story of Lazarus, the stone is rolled in front of it, but they're wanting something else to be done here. Because Jesus said he's going to rise again. We don't want those disciples coming in here and stealing the body. And say, oh, look, he rose. All right. So what does Pilate say? All right. You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as they can. 
So they went and made the tomb secure by stealing the stone and setting a guard. They wanted to make sure. This is one of the reasons that we as Christians can say, 100% Jesus rose. Roman guards would never have, as we hear later on, told the story about falling asleep. That would have been death for them. All right? It's sealed. It was official. There is no way that this would have happened under Roman law that the disciples, that ragtag band of people that ran in the garden, could have overpowered these Roman soldiers, stole away the body, and then the soldiers go, oh, the disciples stole away. They would have been dead. Soldiers that would have said that would have been dead. Why is all this important? Why are we going through all this thing? Why do we have Rory come talk to us? The body's important. However, here's some things I want you to know. When Jesus rose from the dead, the preservatives on his body didn't keep him in the grave. The preservatives didn't stop the resurrection. Those strips of cloth wrapped around him did not stop his resurrection. The sealed tone, stone in front of the thing did not stop his resurrection. The guards didn't stop his resurrection. Nothing can keep God from raising your body. The things that Rory does, the things that Rory doesn't do, the, the casket, the, 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 what's the, the, the encasement around it, the concrete, that cannot keep you in the ground when Jesus comes again. The other side of it is, if your body's burned up and in a, in a, in a columbarium, if your body's burned up and spread all over Yellowstone Park, if your body's burned up in the World Trade Towers, that's not going to keep God from putting your body back together again. God made your body from the dust in the beginning. God created this world out of nothing. He can put us back together. Whatever decision you make concerning how you're buried, whether you're going to donate organs, God is in charge. What we have the promise that we have. This is a depressing topic, but we have a promise of eternal hope. We will be with him in heaven, and we will be with him with our bodies after the judgment day forever and the new creation, God is in charge. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed this Sunday morning Bible group. If you did, be sure to share it and subscribe so we can get you more faith content when it's available. And I wanna give a shout out to all people who call St. Peter's home. It is through you that we are able to connect people to Jesus for the first time and keep people connected for a lifetime. We hope to see you next time.